Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Justin Chen, a visionary technologist and entrepreneur with over 17 years experience in harnessing data for informed decision-making. As a co-founder of PicFu, he's revolutionized the way businesses receive real-time, actionable consumer feedback. Whether you're refining branding, validating a business idea, or optimizing product listings, Justin's creation, PicFu, provides instant polling results from a diverse audience. From e-commerce brands to mobile app developers, thousands trust PicFu for its unparalleled insights. Beyond PicFu, Justin co-founded Menuism, a thriving online dining community, and has been a driving force behind several web properties. I've asked him to join us here today to share his story and discuss e-commerce, bootstrapping, market research, and more. So Justin, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you? Yeah, thank you for having me, Daryl. Yeah, it's an honor and it's a pleasure. And we we think we share a lot of similar thinking on things when we did the meet and greet call. But before we even dive sure. into a lot of that, how did you get into entrepreneurship? Were your family entrepreneurs, like your parents entrepreneurs? Is this a family endeavor? It is not a family endeavor, but yeah, my dad, so he actually had a PhD in chemistry. He was working like biotech for a while. And then he got the entrepreneur bug. And he when I was in high school, he quit and started his own thing. And I remember a conversation distinctly where he sat me down and told me like, you got to be your own boss. Like mm. you, know, you got to control your own destiny. And it's one of those formative stories that kind of sticks with you. And yeah. I never thought anything of it. Like I, I wasn't very entrepreneur or entrepreneurial in high school or college or anything, but I guess it just stuck back there. I was computer science at Berkeley. I thought I was just going to go like the tech route and it was going that way until the whole dot-com crash happened. I went to Hewlett-Packard after graduating, went the safe conservative route, went to a big company. Mm -hmm. And then after a few years, my college friend, I, who also went to a big company, decided like, all right, this is enough of this boring corporate stuff. Like we need to do something on our own. And so we, we actually got together on a, what's the January long weekend? I think it's MLK, three-day weekend, and uh, just powwowed, just put a lot of ideas out there. Should we start a bar? Should we start a restaurant? Should we do a website? Like it really didn't matter. Like we just wanted to run some kind of business. Like it was, it was all about learning like a MBA in real life kind of thing is what we were going for. Mm -hmm. And so if it didn't work out, we figured we would go back to our cushy corporate right. jobs. And cushy corporation whatever. will always be there. Exactly. You lose a year or two, to fine. Same cost as going to school as getting an MBA. We made the jump. That's when we started Menuism. We had no idea what we were doing. We went to Barnes and Nobles. We bought some books on how to code in Ruby on Rails. And so we built it from the ground up and it was self-funded. And we knew that we wanted to do it self-funded because we just wanted, the whole point was to have that control and be able to do everything on our own. That's what we did for the first few years. And we started getting traction through organic search. We started monetizing with ads. Yeah. And so that company just grew on its own. We built a lot of side projects along the way. As any entrepreneur has AD and you just got to start different things as ideas come to you. And that's actually where PicFu came from. We were actually working on menus and we were doing a redesign at the time. And we wanted to get feedback on two different designs. We couldn't decide between the two of us because we, we had a tie. So close to the and being, being engineers, we we're like, let's just build some kind of tool to get feedback. The trend at the time was the lean startup movement was all about like getting out of your office, go to coffee shops, go talk to people, get feedback. We're introverted engineers. We didn't actually want to go talk to real people. So we figured let's build a service that allows us to digitally have a focus group at the, at our fingertips. And that's where PicFu was born. 
Got it. I love that. I love that. I actually had you talking about your dad talk. I had that when I was 10. I was an orphan and I was adopted. And then my adopted dad passed away right before my second birthday and my mom remarried. And I remember I, I was like you, like I was 10, 10 to 14, something like that. He sat me down and he was just like, hey, I'm a first generation immigrant to this country. I don't have a lot. I've got a good job and all I've got is this house, but this house is going to go to my biological son. So he's like, I can feed you. Mm. I can clothe you. I can make sure you get to school on time, but you're going to figure it out for yourself, son. Like that kind of, I got no trust fund for you. And uh, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. It really yeah. is because you really take the reins. And I think that that's for sure. very commendable. Now I want to talk about something. I want to ask a couple of questions. You talked about monetizing via organic search. Yes. Can you speak to that a little bit? Pros, cons, things people don't consider, things people should consider. Yeah, I guess when we did this, which was 15 years ago, it was a different search landscape. We were we were able to start ranking for a lot of long tail keywords, which started becoming the thing. Different restaurant names, the reviews for them, the menus for them, restaurant locations, like very long tail things. It's a very interesting strategy. It's SEO continues to be one of the strongest ways for businesses to to gain not free it's not free but it is longer lasting than bc as a marketing channel we're still firm believers in seo and even for pickfood we focus a lot on content and creating helpful and unique and even long tail content to really satisfy our potential audiences thirst for knowledge yeah there's downsides in that it's a lot of upfront cost and you don't necessarily know if it's going to work. You're making a big investment into a strategy that should work as long as you play things above board and Google doesn't change the rules from underneath <laughs> you, which obviously- Google never changes oh, the rules, right? Yeah, it's uh, crystal balling it, trying to figure out, okay, what direction are they going in? And even now, is it going to be search still or is it going to be content ingested through AI and then chat GPT? So- there's a lot of hypothesizing on how people are going to learn and consume content in the future. And as long as you keep that in mind, then you just have to have faith that it's right, the right way to go. And the way that we look at it, as long as the content you're creating is going to be valuable for your customer base, that's your actual customer base, or maybe already using it, or the leads that lay out on your website, the SEO is a secondary benefit, even if you did intend it for to drive mm -hmm. leads. So that's the approach that we try to take at PickFu also is you know, even though we're generating a lot of content for SEO, it should still be helpful for existing customers that might be browsing the site, browsing the blog. And so either way, it's win-win. I love that. I have a content for users slash customer, existing customers. I think that's great. I did the workshop talking about for your users and customers. I have a membership program and I did a kind of an ad hoc workshop. It was automate to dominate the ultimate business automation masterclass, I think is what I called it. Because mm -hmm. I've been automating and you, you code, I don't code. I... I connect things. That's what I do. I go, I'm going to take this tool and I'm going to hire a coder to make the bridge here. And this doesn't do that, but I'm going to hire this coder for a project to make that function work. And so I like Frankenstein things. But one of the things that I mentioned on the workshop yesterday was that a lot of people don't realize it, but SEO is a form of software in the sense that like when you have a software as a service company, your, mm -hmm. your cost of, your cost of uh, like replication for a new customer is negligible, right? It's mostly mm -hmm. overhead mm -hmm. and marketing costs. But SEO, like you talk about, if you get it up and running and built, people are searching 24 hours a day, seven days a week from around the world. Exactly. You know, your yeah. website is up 24 hours a day, seven times, seven days a week yeah. all over the world. Your email autoresponder is running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So this in some way, people, one thing to think about, I just wanted to mention that, that even if you're using paid ads and SEO, 
those are essentially software tools and you die. And so I think the same things approach where you try and identify the bugs, the improvements that you need, mm-hmm. features and the tasks that need to be done for it. Yeah. Like product for development. Sure. Is that fair to say? I haven't built an SEO based company. So we've been one of many strategies, but. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's all about where both my partner and I are both engineers. And so we try to, we tend to take approaches that are very systematized that, that can work while we're not working, obviously, like you said, and have some kind of momentum and longevity factor to it. So you could stop investing in SEO content and it's going to continue to work. Right. That's not quite the same with PC, but like you are still building a system there. And so that's very appealing to us. Obviously it works 24 hours a day, 365. And so we always try to look for approaches that whether you're automating a process with people or with software, or right. a lot of times like people have very well-run business processes with, with assistants all over and like they're very well-defined and, and that business is also working for you when you're not awake right. and actually working in it. So right. I think it's all very similar in that it's about creating the system that runs your business as opposed to like relying on yourself to individually put in the work or your team to individually put in the work. All the yeah, time. I love, and I feel like you gave a real like, real golden nugget there. I'm actually going to underline it on my notes where, because like you said, it's a gamble to a certain extent, because like, I, I know when I had my martial arts school and I was doing SEO heavily, I was still generating leads from SEO years after I stopped operating mm. them because I paid my domain for three, five, three to five years. Yeah. So everything was still running. The leads were still coming in, but there was no one there. And I tried to sell the leads to some of my competitors in the city and they just figured they'd come to them after they realized that I wasn't in business anymore. <laughs> and I was like, okay, whatever. But like you said, it's high upfront cost, unknown ROI. But even with my site, it was really only four or five keywords that I had as money words, maybe even only, even though I ranked for Mm -hmm. a thousand, would you say that's the same for you guys as well? I think that's going to be the case most of the time. Like it's hard to justify putting a ton of money or effort into the longer tail ones that you're not sure if they're going to pay off. And even if they do pay off, they're low volume. So it's safer to put your efforts into kind of like the head of the tail. And by doing well at the head of the tail, you're going to going to get some trickle effect on some of the longer tail keywords or the variations of those keywords. Mm-hmm. You might be going for a studio, but then there's going to be like five additional th- modifiers that people are going to attach to it. Maybe right. you didn't explicitly go for those, but like those keywords might be in your content until you start, start surfacing. Go for the head and set yourself up to start ranking for some of the longer tails of stuff. So that's where working with someone who's familiar with SEO, who can make sure that as you're developing the content that you do include the secondary and tertiary keywords in that content or right. additional topics or linking to like smaller articles. There's a lot of strategies around it. And that's something that that we now pay an SEO consultant to help us with. Right. Yeah. And forgive me, I didn't finish the full thought when I said, but the really valuable super tip I thought you gave was that it sounds like you mostly focus on content that would already be a value to your customer. So to clarify for people here, like you're creating content for your existing leads and customers and even yes. maybe lost customers. But then what you're doing is that you're dealing with an SEO expert to make sure that it's formatted properly because there's like a, it's almost like a translator. And again, this is for the non-techie people, but SEO isn't magic. It's just formatting the content. So that way, because you have That's to remember, right. if you've got to index 10 million websites, you have to have a standardized process. So we're mm-hmm. looking for this and this that tells us what this web page is about. And, and then after that, it's really just based on behavior. And what I so for the non the non-savvy people here, what it means is they're looking things, they call it eat, I think, authority, yes. expertise, authority, trust, 
trustworthiness, trust and trust. I think there's two T's now. It used to be E-A-T. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I'm like, whatever, Google, it's E-A-T. So it's expertise, authority, trustworthiness, and maybe even tenure. That might be the second T. So it's almost like a real world. How long have you been going? Are you an expert? Mm -hmm. What are those signals? Those are on-page signals. Those are off-page signals, like people talking mm -hmm. about you or linking to you. And then at the same time, Google's never going to reprimand you for putting out great original content. People love exactly. Zoom. But if they go to your site and they leave right away because it's slow to load or it's not clear or they're being bombarded by pop-ups, they, like, they just want their customers to be happy. And so just as a tip there, that making valuable content for the existing customer base, the existing leads yeah. you have, and then formatting it and then expanding, like using that as kind of like a bullseye. I think that's just like a real pro tip that you gave right yeah. there. And you don't have to worry about all these Google updates. A lot of them are just exactly. about formatting, but yeah, yeah. So what were some of the biggest trends? I mean, you, those two companies, Menuta, Menu, was it Menutai? Menuism, yeah. Menu, Menuism. Menuism, sorry. Menuism has been around almost 20 years, 18, 15, Seven, like 2006. Like so yeah, 17 years or so. Yeah. 17 years. BigFoo's been around 15 years. Has it just been smooth sailing? Like just up? Yeah. Like you're living the dream or have there been some challenges? It's, it's always a squiggly route for sure. Even for menuism, there were definitely ups and downs. Like we alluded to the Google taketh and the Google giveth like whenever it wants. And so <laughs> there was, there were traffic ups and downs depending on algorithmic changes or competitors. And then at the same time, we were relying on Google for the ad revenues. We had to consolidate it. We were doing a lot of display ads and obviously Google AdSense and optimizing that and add the ad business had different ebbs and flows throughout the years and staying on top of what works is the name of the game. So whether you're doing everything through Google or maybe using third-party ad networks or optimizing them, there's all these different tactics that we were employing to try to make sure that for that given time of the ad space, like that we were optimizing it correctly. No, no business is a straight line. Obviously it's impossible to have the same percentage growth every single year or necessarily growth every single year. The same with Pickford. I think we we, th we threw it up as a side project and it was a side project for many years as we continue to focus on menuism. And it took a long time for it to marinate and for us to slowly build the kind of like the knowledge in our customer and the product mm. to continue to iterate on the things that were important to, to make it resonate. And mm. I don't think it would have, if we had just started and gone full blow Right from the beginning, I don't think we would initially have the same success, but having so long to talk to a lot of different types of customers and slowly iterate the product was actually quite beneficial to us. Right. And so when it came time to scale it, let's say 2018, 2019, I think there was just so much baked into the product already from all those years of working with a lot of different types of customers and encountering a lot of different scenarios that allowed it to be in a place that it could start scaling. And so that's the, the time frame that we were able to pivot over our attention and efforts full-time over to PickFu and really start growing the team because we saw such a huge opportunity in this consumer research space because at first we thought it was just going to be a little side thing for us and maybe it would help some people along the way, but we really saw that it was satisfying a really big need in the market for self-service consumer research because I don't think anyone realizes that you can do this kind of stuff. I think everyone knows larger companies have consumer insights teams or market research consultants, and they're doing these fancy focus groups that we see in the movies and on TV where they get people in a room and all that kind of stuff. 
But as entrepreneurs or small business owners, like we wouldn't be able to do those things, or it's a lot of work to be able to, to get this kind of feedback, let alone digitally and very quickly. And so as we started seeing how well it resonated with other entrepreneurs, especially in the e-commerce space where you're selling products and you're making huge monetary investments into inventory, we saw what a huge impact we can make on their businesses. And so we think the opportunity is really big and we're trying to grow it as quickly as possible. Still self-funded, but trying to grow the team and the product as quickly as possible. Yeah, but I think self-funded is the way to go. I think we talked before about the research and a lot of my loyal followers know that we spend a lot of money on the research and that. And lean, when it comes to money management, having limited debt and operating lean is the way yes. to go because the customers point you in the direction of what they want. And it can be stressful and seem uncertain for us as businesses because where we want stability mm -hmm. and certainty. But if you are really connected to the market, then the people will lead you where they want where yeah. they want to go. So can you speak to that? What are some of the most powerful or most highest ROI uses of PickFu? Yeah. So for so right now we have a pretty big concentration in e-commerce. We have customers all all across different industries, but within e-commerce, I would say the lowest hanging fruit is optimizing your main image if you're selling on a marketplace like Amazon. So if you're selling in a marketplace, whether it's Amazon or eBay or Etsy or Walmart. It's a competitive marketplace. There's not a lot of brand loyalty. So people are searching for specific keywords like teapot or something, but not a specific brand. And so you really need to stand out and that your main image is really the only way that you're going to stand out. Obviously there's the price and those other factors, but the main image is what's going to draw attention. And so the easiest thing to do is to optimize your main image using PicFu. And so what that entails doing is taking your main image, maybe a few of your competitors and running a test on our site. And what happens there is you could ask a question like, which teapot would you click on if you're shopping on Amazon? Our respondents, mm -hmm. we pay them to answer it. And they're going to say, oh, I like option A or I like option B or whatever it is. But more importantly, they're going to give you a written explanation why. And they're going to say, oh, I like the layout of that one, or I like the colors of this teapot, or maybe it's the pricing or whatever it is. But that's where the actionable insight is going to be. It's actually in the written feedback. So Sure, you may want to care which one's going to win, but you actually want to see what people are saying so that you can see how you can improve your image or your listing. And then what you can do is you could then work with your designer and you could iterate on a few different image variations. Okay, people didn't like, like the way that I laid out the teapot or the angle or it was too zoomed out or whatever it was, whatever they were commenting on, make a few new variations, keep testing them on PicFu until they do better, then test again against your competition now, when you go update your image in the marketplace, you have high confidence that people are going to react to it better. You're going to get an improved click-through rate, and that's going to translate directly into sales. Yeah, I love that. I love that a lot. Now, how many responses do you typically need? Is it okay, is it okay if you just get your three cousins to tell you what they think? That's what most people do. That's what okay. most people do right now. We recommend 50 responses is like the most common use. So 50 50. By default, we we get like a general audience. So you could either do a general audience from the US, the UK, Canada, Australia, Germany, or you could do targeting as well. So if you know who your demographic is, maybe they're pet owners or maybe they're females 18 to 24, you can do that kind of targeting on pick food. The benefit of all this is you as an entrepreneur know that you got to get out of your own headspace because your target audience is not necessarily yourself. It's not right. necessarily your mom or your brother or your friends. A lot of times they aren't. And so... They're just going to give you feedback that is in the echo chamber, right? Hey, you know what's best? Like I, whatever you like, that's a lot of what we heard. And that's why we started PicFu. So we really want to tap into strangers who are our target audience. We have a lot of customers that 
maybe they're males, but they're selling products for females or vice versa. And it's really important to get that, that feedback from your potential audience rather than just your team. And how do you get, you guys boast 15 million, because this is the typical thing. Somebody wants to do a survey, but I want to make sure I articulate this properly. A lot of people know they need to survey and they know that there's power in it, but they can't get enough responses to have a viable answer. And often I would tell them that's what you need to fix first. Because if you can't even get enough survey responses, how are you supposed to get enough leads to get sales anyhow? But you've got all this built in, it seems like thick food. Like, I don't even know if I necessarily realize that you've got what, 15 million, how? So we tap, we tap into the same panels, uh, market research panels that a large, like a Procter and Gamble would be using the same things, the same places that they're going with their market research consultants to, to run long form surveys or the same places that political pollsters might be going to get sound bites and fast statistics for articles is what we're tapping into. But in the past, it's been very difficult to use these, these panel sources, the data quality is very hit or miss. Um, it's very complicated to use. So typically it needs a experienced and expensive consultant to know how to use it and know how to clean the data. And so what we've done is we've built our own programmatic layer of targeting on top of it, data quality on top of it so that no one has to think about it. And in fact, we actually get a lot of our target audience isn't consumer insights teams, but we're actually finding that consumer insights teams are coming to use us because we're taking out the need to do all that data quality stuff where they're spending so much time like cleaning out their own data. So we really focus a lot of our effort on making sure that the people who respond are doing so in an earnest fashion and they're paying attention. And if you read through a lot of the responses in our examples, like you can tell that they're actually looking at the images or reading the content that you're putting out there and giving a genuine response. So that's, yeah. So that's our heavy lifting is trying to go out and find those people because if you're launching a new product, like you said, you're probably not gonna have a huge audience that you yeah. can tap into. You don't have a customer list. And so this can be your initial, your initial mini focus group of moms, if that's who you're selling to and you want to get feedback from them. Yeah, it's a great way to bootstrap any kind of business that, that you're not the target audience. Yeah, that, that sounds fantastic. I didn't realize even actually in, when we first started the call that you actually already had that. I was like, this seems great and you've got all these different ones, but I didn't necessarily realize that, oh, you've got, the whole list, I could just we're bringing it. target market <laughs> is. And so for people that don't understand, maybe we should talk a little bit about identifying a market and qualifying it. And because whether you're going to do image tests, whether you're going to ask like which package seems more appealing, whatever that kind yep. of thing that you want to ask. First, I think it yep. was good. We talked about images, attention. Even when I launched my book on Amazon, one of the things that I did mm-hmm. is I actually put eyeballs. So my cover, one of the things I did is I looked at all the other books in my category. I got a book to hit number one on Amazon, top 100 in marketing and sales nice. years ago now. But part of how I did that is I went, and it wasn't that I was a smart, I had a friend who's very smart tell me to do <laughs> I looked at all the other book covers and I made sure mine had a strong contrast to that. And so one of the things yes. that I did was it was like a blood red cover. And then it even had like a ninja because it was ancient secrets of lead generation. It had a ninja, like you just see the eyes and the black band. Nice. So the book is like looking at you, like you're scrolling <laughs> and then this face is just like in your face. So anyways, images are important because you got to get attention. I'm like trying to throw four questions at you at once. I need to break this down. What else is important to test? We talked about images. What else? Let's get those out because that's a big thing too. Yeah. A lot of people come to us, they start testing the images and they, when they read through the responses though, a lot of the feedback is, I don't like, I don't like this one because the branding, I don't like your brand name. I don't like your packaging. I don't like your product design. And then that's when they realize they've come to us 
a little bit too late in the process, right? They've already decided on all this. They've already made the product. They've already shipped it into Amazon or whatever it is. Now they're just trying to optimize the main image, but really they didn't get any feedback up to that point. And so it's dead on arrival, right? And so the most impactful place you can do this is earlier in the process. So whether that's your branding, which could be just your company name or your product line that you're trying to, your marketing, the logo that you're doing, making sure that it resonates with your target audience. We see a lot of horrible brand names and logos when we buy stuff on Amazon. Like it's clearly <laughs> not really good brands or not. I want to brands, speak to right? the short story on this. I had a client and bless him. If you hear this, I'm not going to say your name, but I'm not going to say the company name either, but this is just such a great example. And so he built us a very successful business. It's in a different language. We're going to say it's not English. I'm not going to say what language, okay. <laughs> but he built a very successful, like seven figure business in a third world country as a dating guru. And he couldn't figure out, like he was trying to scale and he was having issues and he couldn't figure out what the problem was. It wasn't until they did some market research, they realized the problem was the company name. So the name, which sounds great in the native language, but it still is mm. like how to conquer a man. But women didn't want packages showing up to their house or things on their credit card statement or emails in their inbox. Yes from how to conquer a man. They felt that <laughs> they were trying to get dating advice and yes, they wanted to conquer the man. Yes, they wanted him. I wanna know what to say to make him do what I wanna do, but they don't want anybody and everybody to know that. And he yeah. really, that made him like, it was like penis photos. Like it was the thing that they, the secret they were trying to yeah. keep yeah. hidden. And so just cause you mentioned the branding and the logo and that, like he grew this great business and he just realized why isn't it working? I think he was trying to expand to be more like lifestyle and stuff. And it just wasn't taken off. It's like, I couldn't figure it out. And then it's because the association, women didn't want to be, didn't want their neighbors knowing. That, that's a perfect example. That's a perfect example. Yeah. So branding, logos, product design for sure. So we actually see a lot of people doing 3D renders or now a lot of people are generating new product concepts with AI. So you could test all this stuff before you even have anything, right? Because you're just putting up digital assets and for people to respond to. So it's a really good way to iterate on Hey, should I put the handle here? Should I make it like this? Whatever it is, you could keep iterating on it. And of course, packaging. I think packaging is super underrated, even for e-commerce. I think people think, oh, it's an e-commerce product. I'm just going to ship it. But if you're selling it in a marketplace, the packaging, which you should include in your main image, becomes a, a free billboard for you. Like it should say what it is. It should say what's included. And a lot of times if you buy stuff on Amazon, you'll notice that the more successful ones have the packaging in there, even if it doesn't seem relevant, like even if this isn't going to be a gift or something that I should care about the packaging, it actually just help legitimize the product and also yeah. allows you to put information about the product on the packaging. We have a lot of customers that iterate on packaging, the colors, the fonts, what content is on it. So all of those different things, because you want to do that before you go to print, and then you're just going to be much more confident once you actually launch a product. So I want to ask about offer testing. And what, obviously you see a lot on the back end, minutes can save you 15% on car insurance, made Geico, yep, yep, yep. pizza delivered to your door in 30 minutes or less, built a billion mm -hmm. dollar brand called Domino's Pizza. Can you talk about testing offers and also sure. the reliability of testing versus real world results between price testing and package or offer testing? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So we definitely see a lot of offer testing tangibly with e-commerce. Like we'll see price and combination testing. A lot of times 
people want to up their price and they weren't trying to figure out different ways to do that. Should I do a three pack or a four pack, or should I put this DVD included? Like those kinds of things. So we'll see a lot of bundles being tested in terms of offers. Like we've actually played with a lot of offer testing in terms of how we position pricing. Like you said, should it be $15 off or should we say it's a 10% off, right? There's a lot of psychology there and right. just testing out the different wording of what maybe what seems like the same thing yeah. is a really interesting way to, to test on PickFu. Obviously real world, it's, we can't compete with like real world testing. So w given the opportunity, we definitely still recommend if you can to live AB test things, obviously a lot of situations you can't. Think if you're shop if you're selling on your own platform, you could probably do some A/B testing through your Shopify store. If you're doing it on Amazon, they do have a manager experimenting where you can A/B test. And what we do re recommend is like coming down to the two finalists on PickFu, mm -hmm. then maybe running an A/B test, but not yeah. iterating it on the A/B test because that's going to take weeks and you're going to be cannibalizing sales on a bad option. So try to minimize the risk and then actually do the A/B test. Yeah. And then offer, offers are a little bit harder to test just because you don't want to confuse your market. If you're playing around like on your own website and half your audience is seeing a certain offer and the other half is seeing a different one, you might confuse your customer success team or whatever it is. So I, I would caution too much of that, but getting feedback on PickFu or, or even polling some of your audience members. If you have existing customers, throw out like a Typeform survey and just see what they think because... If they're actually your customers, they they may have a more relevant perspective for your conversion rates. Yeah, yeah. So for people, again, this going back to kind of basics with the market research, market intelligence, you need to know what specific problem you're solving, why it's yeah. a problem for them, who wants the problem solved and why. So that's who's affected. The, what are the stereotypes of those? How big is the demographics and psychographics? So soccer moms isn't a market per se. It's a target market. And there's a bit of a difference. The problem yeah, is yeah. the market. So you have people that help like job hunters, right? Yeah, people that help you go job hunting. So high-powered CEOs need to find work and so do homeless people. But yeah. Those are different stereotypes. So the market is, the problem is the market. And then you need to try to identify the cost of not fixing it. And then you need to, I love what you talked about comparing your competitors' products, images to yours. Mm. I think that's so powerful. You need to know who your top 10 solution providers are. If yes. you can, their sales data, their locations, their target market, their offers and price points and all this stuff. And the reason why this is so important is that it, it removes a lot of the guesswork out of it. So when you launch, you, the reality is going to be different than the testing anyhow. Focus sure. are notorious yep. for telling you what you want to hear versus, yeah. so I had a past guest. He's no longer in the industry, Glenn Livingston. He was a big time market research guru. They used to do focus groups and they would have people come and they would show them all these products and get their opinions on stuff and do the whole rigmarole circus. Yeah. At the end, they would be like, hey, thanks for coming. Lisa's got your checks. By the way, I talked to the whoever, the manager, and they actually said you can take one of these products home with you if you want. So just pick whichever one on your way out. This is like the last five minutes. They've been there for an hour, two hours, and that was the real test. Everything else was just yeah. show, show business. And the real one was, which product did they want to take home with them? because the action spoke louder than the words. Yeah. So it was almost the whole, I, th I see you laughing, right? Because yeah, there's the yeah. whole, like the reality of that. And so again, real world will always be real world, but it is, I just love that you have the built-in audience. That makes it so yeah. much easier for people to get at least some valid opinions. And here's the other problem is that if you do something and you show it to your staff or your friends and all that stuff, they're not your target market. So the yeah. fact that you have targeting in there, as long as that targeting in the data has in got integrity, that is yep. miles ahead 
because there's different, you just don't understand. That's like me trying to explain what it's like to be a woman. Like I just can't. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. I love that. What are some of the biggest mistakes people making? Oh, let's see. So many piggybacking on what you just said. I think people can tend to hyper target too much. So maybe they think they've got like this stereotype or like this persona because that's how they designed the product. They're like, oh, it's only going to be this guy, this type of guy who's going to buy it. And a lot of times you look at sales data and like you maybe sell on Amazon, whatever it is, and they start giving you the breakdown of your customer demographics. And you're like, oh, I thought this was a guy's product. Why are women buying it? And you're probably know a lot of times guys don't buy their own clothes. Guys don't buy stuff like it's gifts or their spouse is buying it for them or they're buying them underwear, whatever it is. Just because you think that someone's your target user, maybe they are your target user. They may not be your buyer. And I think that's an important thing to remember because you need to have it resonate with everyone then. Or maybe it's a gift for Father's Day or whatever it is, right? And if it doesn't, if the messaging doesn't make sense to like a grandchild who's trying to buy something for grandpa, then like you're alienating a lot of people. Don't get too stuck in with, oh, this is the, I've got a very narrow audience and I only have to appeal to them. Like on the internet, really anyone can buy anything, but if you have the sales data, that's what you should go by. A lot of platforms will provide you some basic demographic information about your buyers. But yeah, so that that's one thing is targeting too much, obviously writing bad questions. So if you're leading the question or stuffing too many things in there, People might give away which one is theirs and why wouldn't you buy this other one? You, you, you can't, you got to be as objective as possible in the questions. Otherwise right. they are people. And that there's a reason why these focus group people, like the guy you interviewed, they make the big bucks because it, you have to ask things in a like objective and yeah. a plainly worded way. And so that could be a challenge. We have a lot of templated questions for that reason. So that people don't get caught up on, okay, and by saying this right, and maybe English isn't your first language. So we do have a lot of preset questions that, that take some of the trepidation out of that. Those are probably the two biggest ones. A third one might be comparing things that like changing too many things at once, mm-hmm. like scientific method type thing, right? Like you're trying to improve your, your book titles and book covers is a good example. So if you're doing titles, test titles, if you're doing the cover design, Test the cover design. Don't change the title and the cover design. Mm. Okay, I'm going to do this red cover with a different title and this blue cover with a completely different title. You just change two different things. And maybe the people will tell you in the comments, but easier just to test the titles first. Then once you've settled on the titles, put the same titles on two different cover designs. Be methodical with it. Otherwise, people are like, oh, I can outsmart the system. I'm just going to change as many things at once. The data is kind of messy then. I love that. I love that. That is epic. So we've already given a lot of tips and we've talked about things indirectly, but to really hit the nail on the head and put it together for them with a nice bow on top, what would you recommend to someone that's starting out or struggling? They've got lackluster sales there, or they're trying to launch a new product. And where do I start? I guess it depends on how and where you're selling. One suggestion I give to a lot of sellers that are just struggling is I, you probably have some kind of product page somewhere, whether it's on Shopify or drop shipping or Amazon or whatever it is, what you could actually do is you could just put that up. You could have a question, take a look at this product page. What questions do you still have about the product or what concerns do you still have about the product? And so you just put the URL and our audience is going to go look at it and they'll, they'll look at what it is and you can give them some context. So you could say, oh, maybe you're buying this teapot. What concerns or questions do you still have? And it's a really interesting way to surface deficiencies with your product listing. So maybe people don't realize that it's dishwasher safe or 
I don't understand like, what does it come with? Does it come with spare parts or whatever it is? Like these questions that you may think are obvious because, oh, I threw it into a bullet point somewhere, but maybe it's just not emphasized enough. Maybe it's not in your secondary image. So whatever it is, like that's a really easy way to surface. And you'll usually see themes. Oh, five people talked about like washable. Okay, clearly people don't know if it's washable. That's a really easy way to audit what you're already doing. And then from there, you can start to pick and choose the things that you want to work on. Like, all right, people commented about my main image. Now I'm going to go work with a designer or something and try a different main image or variations. But if you don't know where to start, I think like this kind of audit is an interesting way. And you can do it on like your web, your homepage or your webpage. Even if you just have a business that's not an e-commerce business. Like, hey, do you think this website looks trustworthy? Or even just, what do you think this business does? Th those are some of the more fun ones because you realize that sometimes you're just not conveying your message or you, you put your product packaging up there. Hey, what do you think this product is? Those can be hilarious. Like we've seen a lot of products where a lot of times it's the agency who's dealing with a customer and they're trying to prove that, Hey, your packaging sucks. So they right. go up a poll like this and they just put an image of it. Hey, what do you think this product does? And no one can guess it. And they just bring that back to their, their client. Like no one right. knows what your existing packaging does. Yeah, Let us yeah, yeah, it. yeah. That's a great, that's such a great. And this is because people, we can't, it's really, we all think other people are like us, but the reality is that we are individuals and it's really hard for us to predict the needs, wants, feelings, desires, interests of the hundreds of thousands of billions of people out in the world. Yeah. People don't realize how unique we are as individuals. And I think that's yeah. why this kind of thing is so important. And I just want to talk about a couple of different examples. Like Blockbuster was a, my two, one of my two favorite Blockbuster was a billion dollar company with a B. They were yeah. doing like four to $6 billion a year. They could have hired any talent. They could have done any market research. They could have developed any technology. And they got not only beaten, but run driven into the ground in bankruptcy by a small <laughs> yeah. startup called Netflix because they were so detached from what the people thought and wanted. They had a business model. The builders built it and the managers came in to maximize profits. And they were so disconnected from the original purpose. So they didn't realize that if you've been cutting hair all day, if you've been waiting on tables, if you've been working on a construction site with steel toe boots, you don't want, you want to go home and relax. You don't want to drive and then park and then go and stand in front of a wall paralysis by analysis. And then that's two hours every time you go in there <laughs> and then you pick it and you take it home and then you get charged extra because you're so damn busy. You didn't get it home on time where Netflix was like pizza delivery for movies. You get a catalog, yeah. you pull it up, they deliver it. It started as a local business. They deliver it, yeah. they late watch fees. it, they pick it up. No late fees, no nothing. You're so simple. And they got, that's why keeping your eyes on the market. Like that's where newspapers, newspaper subscriptions were once considered rivers of gold. And then yeah. logs came out and newspapers were so disconnected with what problem they were solving for their audience that they just got decimated because people wanted to be kept informed. They wanted like, mm. we see that happening again now with mainstream media. They forgot yeah. the business that they're really in and how to hold attention. This has been such an important, such a valuable call. I really think people should consider this and pay attention to it. Now, I know we're almost up on the top of the hour is what kind of habits do you feel both have helped you and you see your most successful clients and customers? What are the habits that you think are most important? I think really just talking to our customers and being data driven about it. Obviously we evangelize that. And we, like you said, we advise our customers to talk to their target customers, but we also talk to our customers. 
very frequently. Well, we have an open door, like anyone on the team, from the founders to the product team to our customer success managers. We're constantly trying to talk to our customers to understand where they want the product to go, like what needs they still have. A lot of where it is now is all from customer feedback. When we started it, we thought it was just going to be for small entrepreneurs like ourselves and doing some kind of like idea validation for businesses. We went, we got drug into self-publishing authors, testing book titles and book covers. That was actually our first industry that we were popular in. Mm -hmm. Then we got, we were like in the mobile game space because like mobile game makers are using it to test app icons and game characters and all that kind of stuff. And then e-commerce. And all along the way, we, we continue to iterate the product and the targeting that we make available all through customer feedback. We have targeting like pet owners and nutritional supplement takers and all that kind of stuff because our customers are talking to us and they're and are telling us those things. And I think just being very customer driven, customer empathetic, and letting the data lead you to, to where your ultimate dollars are going to be and where we see our most successful customers as well. They're just they're more data-driven than we are. They're fanatical. They're like, it's inspiring to see. One of our big customers is DuckDuckGo. Oh, wow. Privacy search engine. Yep. They take data-driven decision-making like to the next level. They literally test everything, like ads to the UI, to email, temp, like everything. Because otherwise it's just a team, right? It's the team right. of like-minded people who have been working on the thing for hours, if not weeks. They're so committed and to it, yeah. Yeah. How could they have some kind of objective opinion on it? They, our customers inspire us to do better about talking to customers and being more data-driven. So that's what I would advise anyone who's listening. Yeah. Justin, this has been such a great call. I've got a couple of pages of notes. I really think listeners may want to listen to this again. Uh, for anyone that hasn't, go check out pickfu.com. Check out the tool. Justin, is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? No, man, I think we covered a lot and then some. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you again so much for people that, like I said, if they want to know more, go check out PickFu. If you want to, you can also try to reach Justin on LinkedIn. His name is Justin yep. Chen, J-U-S-T-I-N-C-H-E-N. You got the right guy if he's connected to PickFu. Again, yep. Justin, thank you so much for coming and sharing with my audience, my followers, knowing you have your own teams, your own customer base. Thank you so much for coming and helping us do better. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Daryl.